Welcome to KafaruCast, everyone. I'm uh, here with Frank the Tank across the uh, table from me, and someone that uh, I think is going to make for an incredible podcast. He's a very informational uh, wealth of knowledge on things that are important to us, and that's Steve Hildy. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. And Steve here told me what he did about 45 seconds ago, and there's not a chance in hell that I'm going to be able to repeat that. So why don't you tell all the listeners what you do for us here at the state of Colorado? Sure. First and foremost, I am a volunteer, and I serve on the board of directors of the Colorado Bowhunters Association. And my role is Colorado Parks and Wildlife Liaison, and I typically interact on a day-to-day basis, it seems like uh, quite a bit recently, with CPW staff and with the Parks and Wildlife Commission, who are the regulatory body of CPW. I also serve on the Sportsman's Roundtable as an elected delegate from the Northeast region, and that's a diverse group that comes to, together to discuss all sorts of issues. So that sportsman's roundtable, that would be the diverse group, would be everything from fishermen to hunters, bow hunters, everything in between, hikers as well, like, uh, or just mostly just when you say sportsmen, just fishermen and hunters. I would say fishermen and hunters, you know, there's a rep on there that's even with the Colorado Hawking Club. So uh, that body, I, I think it's 13 of those of the body is appointed by the director of CPW. And uh, f- from four regions, I believe we have eight elected delegates. So it's my peers that elected me. Gotcha. And then the, for those listening in that maybe aren't up on on this if you're like me and uh, I don't know what's going on in the world because I don't watch the news the the CPW is the new DOW basically it used to be the division of wildlife and now it's Colorado Parks and Wildlife correct and uh, from from what I've gathered with my last 45 minute conversation here with Steve what you will be able to enlighten us on is the potential some of the options getting thrown out for the new five-year structure, which is getting ready to be voted on. Yes. That correct? That some of the history behind what has gone on in the past years here in Colorado, uh, as well as maybe explaining some things, um, maybe from your own history to actual data from what you've dealt with about application fees, price increases, season dates, quotas, things like that, preference points, you can kind of dive into all of that and at least maybe not have data for it, but maybe data of what's gone on in the past and your own views of what maybe should go on in the future. Did I hit that all right? Or Yeah, we can certainly discuss a wide range of topics, touch on some hot things, and talk about where it's headed. Gotcha. Frank, you got anything? No, I am interested in seeing where this goes. This, this could be a good one. This could be a good and long one. That's yeah. what this. This may be a two-parter. <laughs> so, <laughs> what? Uh, as far as hot topics, let's start there. What would you say is the number one hot topic or t- top three hot topics here in Colorado right now? Well, we've got the big game season structure that's upcoming, and so Parks and Wildlife does this every five years. There's some interesting proposals out there, and some proposals that everybody needs to be aware of and chime in on. Uh, last, uh, well. Well, a couple of weeks ago, we had a commission meeting in Burlington, and I attend all Parks and Wildlife Commission meetings if there's something on the agenda that's of interest to us as bow hunters. And, you know, we talked about application fees and preference point fees. Um, 
And then there's there's always other things. Uh, every agenda has some issues. We've got uh, uh, an effort afoot, if that's the right term. I think I'll use that to take what are either sex uh, archery elk licenses right now and convert those to bull only licenses. So we certainly want to understand, you know, how do our members feel about it? What are the options and how should the board of directors weigh in on these issues? Gotcha. Now, um, I'm going to chime in real quick. Frank, did you see the post the CBA made recently about the price increases on, um, um, the general tax. I didn't know. Don't read it because it's just a shit fest. But I will say we do want questions, comments, throw in your two cents on the things we talk about. I don't want that to turn into a shit show like the CBA post with nothing but hate on out-of-state hunters. And we want this to be informational and gather people's own opinions. But we want that opinion to be tactful. Um, if that, you know, so we can read through it without reading, I hate out at state hunters and they should pay for everything. That doesn't really solve any problems by saying that. And as we cover these different things, let's hit the price increase first. Sure. Both the three dollar, um, application fee that will now be 50. So a price decrease in that, and then the price increase in the hunting license and tags. Now the price increase was, was it $8 for just about everything across the board? Yeah, and so, you know, there's kind of two parts to this. Last year, the legislature, and this was really a two, maybe three-year effort. Uh, We haven't had a resident fee increase in Colorado for, I think it's been 15 years. And so this change occurred legislatively, and, you know, uh, sportsmen worked in collaboration with uh, Parks and Wildlife to understand the challenges and the needs as we look at the future. And so, Long story short, um, a legislative act was passed. It's called the Future Generations Act. And that act enabled the Wildlife Commission to raise fees. And so typically, uh, most licenses for residents only are going up about $8 per license. So if your elk tag was 45, next year it'll be 53. Um, that act just authorized the commission to raise those prices. They had to take action to do that, and they did so in Burlington. So licenses for residents uh, will be going up next year, and there will be some minute uh, changes to non-resident fees as well. Um, And so one of those is... uh, application fees Mm -hmm. and uh the commission uh before you dive into that not to interrupt you because this application fee is going to open up another can of worms so let's i personally don't care about the eight dollar increase um i think it had been 15 years i looked it up when i saw that i knew it had been quite some time i spend six dollars a day to kill myself with copenhagen i don't mind spending eight dollars per tag to to um you know do something i care about and love um there was a lot of blowback from what i understand and what i've read about that from residents is that had you seen that for the most part? Or you, you kind of tell me what you're thinking there. Well, it's fascinating to see the reaction of folks out there. <laughs> uh, 
personally, I'm fine with it. Eight dollars, it's not that much. It goes to support wildlife as hunters. You know, if you look at the North American model of conservation, it's us that yep. have paid for wildlife conservation uh, for years and years and years. And we need to continue to do that if we want and value the resources that we have. So personally, uh, I don't have a problem with the eight dollar increase. I, I do have sympathy and empathy for those who are on limited incomes. If you look at places like rural Colorado, I mean, they've got median incomes at or near the poverty level. Mm -hmm. And if you look at hunting multiple, multiple species, you know, you got to figure out what's important to you and what are you going to do to achieve your goals. And I might be a little bit jaded. And actually, before I say anything, Frank, how do you feel about it? I'm on the same along the same lines. I don't think it's a drastic increase, but I can see where the the, the people who have the the lower incomes where it could affect them. But and that that's where I guess I would you know chime in. Um, how many people? Well, some of the people I heard complaining and complained to me personally had recently spent eighteen hundred dollars on a brand new bow. <laughs> sure. That shit does not make sense. I'm, I'm going to do my best not to drop F-bombs on this podcast because there will be a lot of people listening. In context or keeping things even, I totally understand a very low-budget family. You know, yes, I can see where the $8 might come into play. But um, a lot of where I saw people, a lot of the big blowback online are people that will have two or three four-wheelers drive a $70,000 truck. Um, those are the people, including myself and Frank, I'm not going to speak for you, that I don't mind. I'm in a position by no means am I rolling in the dough, but an extra $8 here and there isn't going to hurt. Yeah. Um, and that's where I do get frustrated is, hey, we're here to to help this and we're in a position we can. Don't complain. If you're in poverty, totally understand it. So now the – uh, you know, having said that, I'm all for it. I don't think Harold, who's not here yet, he had a dentist appointment. Uh, he will be here shortly diving in. Harold was against it. I don't think he was really for it. Is I think uh, I think it also it's kind of along the lines of like tax increases. I think the best thing, personally, I think what the best thing the CPW could do is show exactly where the money's going yeah. and show the benefits. Because if not, then people are just thinking, you know, it's like another tax increase. Where's our money going? People want to see exactly where it's going. I don't know necessarily if the CPW has been extremely transparent about where all these funds go. You know, that's exactly right. If you look at the future generations bill, I mean, it took two years to pass that legislation and they had to uh, tell everybody the le- at the Capitol, where's this money going? Yeah. Because uh, to pass a fee bill is extremely hard. And so if you look at where this money is going to go, and this is up for debate as to if they're the right purposes or not, uh, you know, they need to rebuild dams. There's like 40 of them out there, and it's really expensive to rebuild dams. They need to rebuild hatcheries. They're supposed to be devoting quite a bit of money to improving public access. And there was some other deliverables associated with that. So, you know, I think sportsmen were on board uh, throughout the course of the bill as to where the money's going to go. Yeah, and I, I look at it a little bit differently maybe than most because I, I look at it in the sense of since hunting is such a large part of, of my life, um, let's look at what did they weigh at Starbucks? Didn't at some point in time they raised each coffee three cents? Not a coffee drinker, sorry. I drink the shit out of it. I think it was a three cent raise, and this was probably eight years ago. And right. it's our, we already call it five bucks, right? It's too expensive. You, right. you know you're getting screwed when you go through the drive-through. 
but you still pay three cents more. People made a big hoopla about it, but they love their coffee. Three cents, multiply what they probably made three billion dollars extra a day through the chain statewide or, or nationwide. I kind of look at this eight dollar price increase as it's something I enjoy. If I didn't want to do it, I don't have to pay the eight dollars. Uh, if I didn't want the coffee, I wouldn't pay the extra three cents. This is me breaking it down at a basic level. It is worth it to me to help the Colorado Department of Wildlife as well as do something I enjoy. Not that big of a deal. So, Yeah, I heard somebody, I don't know who, who it was, they said uh, one time, and it stuck with me, is write the check because it's worth it, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, what what are your options? I'm going hunting next year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And again, I'm, you know, totally understand people with, you know, very, very low means. But if that person is saying they have low means and they get effed up drunk on a case of beer every Friday night, you could place that money into your tag. Just something to think about. So let's go into the application fee now. Yeah. So applications fee and recognize that every commission meeting, there's generally staff recommendations for the uh, commission to consider and potentially adopt. And so with application fees, the bill or the act uh, set maximums and the maximum that they can charge for applications. And these, remember, are per species uh, was $10 for a resident and $20 for a non-resident. And so, uh, you know, we have 10 big game species here in Colorado. If uh, you consider you can only apply for one species of sheep and I believe mountain lion are over the counter, you can apply for up to eight total species. And so what the commission enacted uh, was the staff recommendation of $7 for residents per species and $9 for non-residents per species. So if you're applying for eight, you know, that would be $56 in non-refundable fees uh, to apply for all eight species. Now, the challenge and where that comes in at is if you got a family of four and you want to put everybody in, you know, then you're looking at two plus in application fees uh, for everybody, and those, again, are non-refundable. The CBA, as a board, testified that we'd rather see $5 for non-residents and $10 for I'm sorry, five for residents and 10 for non-residents. Because if you look at that and you break it down, if there's merchant fees, if you're using a credit card, for example, a non-resident elk tag is $600. If the fee for merchants is 2.8, you know, that's drastically different than a resident who's putting in for a $50 tag and using a credit card. So our position was not adopted. They went with staff recommendations. Now, I will say there was openness on the part of the commission to look at a cap for application fees in the future. And I don't know what that number would be, but maybe Maybe next year we can say, you know what, your first application is going to be $7 through your third application, and then you're capped out and you can apply for the other species uh, with no additional fees. Right. Well, and that's a way, because of the initial, I don't know what you want to call, uh, crisis that the $3 um, 
application increases. Yeah, the, we did a podcast on this, and I'm trying to remember that the the three dollar uh, application. I guess that would be a decrease significantly at that time. Yeah, increased the amount of people applying by two to four hundred percent. Am I? Yeah, it was to? astronomical. Non-resident moose went up like by five hundred and eighty-six percent, and residents for sheep moose and goat, you know, round numbers, I think we doubled the number of applicants. And so one of the things, and I broke this down um, mathematically, uh, you know, when you, when you initially applied, you, you, um, you know, you had to kick out the money out of your account for those that aren't, that have never applied. But so as an in-state guy, I don't know what sheep is, 300 bucks or something. something like that. Yeah. 300 would come out of my account and then fast forward the few months and then 300 would always come back in my account because I never drew or whatever it was. This, in 2018, it was a $3 fee for anyone that you did not get back. Correct. And that is what increased the tag so much. So for people, to add some clarity here, the people who are not really understanding why that's a crisis, Harold has tried to draw moose for 18 years, 20 years. He'll tell you. Years, he'll yeah. tell you several times because he's he gets all kinds of Twitter <laughs> pages about it. Never drawn, and now we have all of these people that in three years, because of a three dollar um, uh, application fee, he could never draw because there's so many people pooling up in it. Or as an in-state hunter, let's say I had two points right now, and then in a couple of years I've got three and one, and now there's all these other people an increase of 400. That's who I'm competing against. So I may never get to hunt mountain goat in my home state because of the $3, because having the, what is it? 3000 or 2,500 for goat, uh, for the tag for residents or for a non-resident. Yeah. It's probably, I think it went up to somewhere in the 2000 neighborhood. <clears throat> okay. So that keeps a lot of people for, you know, you, you got to play to win. They can't afford to play to win, which is horrible as that sounds. It helps in-state hunters uh, with the possibility of drawing a tag because the numbers are down. Did I explain that worth of shit? I think so. You, you know, on those species, there is a quota split, and, and residents aren't necessarily competing with non-residents because if for sheep, if they get 10% of the total quota, they sort of compete amongst themselves. But right. if you look at non-resident moose, and I mean a 586% increase, uh, you know, what were we selling those guys Uh it's very challenging to them, more, oh, yeah. more so than residents. So right, right, yeah. yeah. So no, that, I'm glad you said that, and 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 that's where this crisis came from. So their fix is now, and then try to explain that again. Well, so <laughs> so you know, I think you got to recognize that uh, the commission, and rightfully so, when when they shifted to this pay later system. That was a year ago last November. And uh, I attended that meeting and testified on behalf of the CBA. I, I believe it was in Yuma out on the Eastern Plains. And at the time, I think we were the only sportsman's organization to raise our hands and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, this is going to create problems. And it did. And so, you know, there was lots of publicity around that. And I think the com commission was bombarded with emails 
emails and probably mostly angry emails. And, you know, those emails, I think, were nonstop. So certainly uh, in Burlington uh, here a couple of weeks ago, they whether you agree or not with what they did, I'll give them credit because they had courage and they took action and they didn't kick the can down the road, so to, so to speak. The CBA, uh, based on our membership survey, we asked our members, well, what would you like us to do about this? How can we testify on your behalf? And it was, I think, the only survey I've ever seen where 93% of the <laughs> respondents said, hey, we need to re-implement pay up front. Yeah. And if you think about pay up front, you don't lose any money. You're going to get it back when you don't draw. If if you're challenged, use a credit card, get yeah. a home equity line of credit, whatever it takes, find that money source because you're going to get it back and the, your real cost is uh, zero as far as the way I look at it. But what they did in Burlington, the staff recommendation, and I got to be honest, this is probably the craziest commission meeting I've ever attended, and I've been to quite a number of them. Uh, the staff recommendation for the whole preference point bit was th- such that you don't have to pay a preference point fee if you buy a qualifying license. And so this has been in place for a long time. Guys just never really realized that because as hunters, we buy qualifying licenses. We were never charged for those points. If you bought a fishing license or a small game license, you didn't pay any point fee. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the discussion uh, was uh, interesting in that, you know, guys saw this. There's some go-getters on the commission, and I always appreciate that, and they want to solve problems. And so they took action, and what they enacted, and, you know, there's a story behind this. There was a couple of motions and a couple of different votes, and there was clarifying that went on. Uh, what I believe they enacted was a $50 resident fee for sheep, moose, and goat, and a $100 non-resident, non-refundable, these fees are non-refundable, fee for sheep, moose, and goat. And so I think there's still some clarifying that needs to be done around this. I've asked Parks and Wildlife to create a frequently asked question list because what's unclear to me, is that a mandatory fee? Can you opt out of that fee Mm -hmm. and then there's issues around the qualifying license you know i i believe what they stated was the qualifying license now needs to be a hunting license which i appreciated that because we need to understand who's hunters who's fishermen and so you got to have a small game license it needs to be an annual license and then there's more challenges to understand as to well is that a current year qualifying license is that i bought one last year uh you know and what are those expiration dates on those and how does that line out with the application period okay so well frank were you paying attention enough to gather anything on that one thing i want to know is at these meetings how how much of the public um, opinion is taken into account? Because I know you said a lot of these guys on the board are appointed. Yeah. And I'm sure they have their own ulterior motives in some senses. Um, how much of that is taken into account when, when decisions are made? Yeah. And so uh, I think on this issue, um, 
and for this meeting, I believe what I was told by maybe it was Commissioner Howard, he got 122 emails on this. So that's really pretty good. Um, as far as guys who go to the meetings and actually testify in person, that's pretty discouraging. Um, I testified on this issue. Uh, I believe Dan Gates from the Trappers Association testified on this issue in person. And that was it. Okay. Well, that says we probably should start testifying, I guess. <laughs> yeah. um, we get 170 emails a day, so we definitely we <laughs> yeah. can generate some people testifying. Um, we uh, Kind of repeating this back to you from the way I understood it of what you just said, being not up on this, you know, I haven't studied sure. is if I apply for a goat, $50 non-refundable. Yeah. A sheep, it's another 50 And moose, it's another 50 Yeah. And so one of the questions was, well, is that for a $50 fee for weighted points? Is that a $50 fee for preference points? Because there are both. Yeah. And I believe it to be all three. Oh, yeah. That's how I would take it off the hip. Any, any point. Any point, it's 50 bucks. So uh, 150 a year if I apply for all three, and it's 300 a year for out of state. Yes, yes. I'm assuming why they did this, and Frank, I'd like to hear this, is to even the playing field back out because even though it's only 100, it may take that 468% increase down to a 165% increase because people may say, well, I don't want to just give up $300 or 100. And so they did that, as you say, instead of kicking the can. They try to come up with the best solution to generate funds, not have the, um, I don't know what you would call it, reenacting credit card bills and, and issues. Because that was the big issue with the um, crediting people back and forth was it was it was racking up, I, I think I had somebody tell me, $1.2 million in fees or something ridiculous. So Yes. Okay. So that solves those problems. It also may potentially, can't see the future, help with the insane amount of increase in applications. Um, am I somewhat close so far? Yeah, I can't speak for the commission, but I believe you're on track with that. Uh, you know, and again, they were bombarded. They took action, and this may solve it. It certainly remains to be seen, and I think their email inboxes will probably be just as full as they were before. <laughs> Ultimately, you know, what's discouraging to a lot of people is your wallet just got lighter. And if you think about sheep, moose, and goat, you know, if you're going to apply for all three and you're just getting started, I mean, you're outlaying 150 bucks, and you got to do that for three years for a resident before you're really even into the draw. So, yeah. Now, I guess off the – now, that does not – not for mule deer and elk, correct? Well, well the interesting part of the commission meeting was uh, – you know, these discussions are very confusing. I was very confused in the audience. and in I'm the, semi-confused now, and you're right here. Yeah. So, yeah. I, <laughs> and, and I believe in the morning what, what was actually passed was uh, a preference point fee for every species. And, you know, some of the discussion amongst the commission during the public portion of the meeting was they look at other states and how they model that. And, you know, one of our commissioners is a very active hunter and he hunts in other states. And you look at models like Arizona and Idaho. 175 bucks, I think, is yeah, Arizona. You, you got to drop the cash just to apply. And so we sort of took a step towards that model, which is becoming an industry standard, really. I don't mind that model well frank i'm gonna get my two cents and i want you to give yours because i i well 
did just age demographic. You're 30. I'm almost 42. You're, how old I'm are you, Steve? 54, although I look like I'm 65. Come on now. You're doing good. And, and Harold's kind of in the middle, so this will be good. Off the hip, as of my age and my the money I make right now and the position I'm in in life, I like it because there's a better chance of me drawing. Um, and I don't at, care as much about the big three because I'm in a position where Kafaru helps and I can go kill the big three, not in Colorado, but I'll shoot those you know, fuckers in Alaska or B.C. Um, you have to take that out of your equation, by the way, Frank, not, not the help of Kafaru, just you buying them. I like the idea of mule deer and elk because that actually increases my chances, in my opinion, of, of drawing. Yeah. It, it kicks some people out of the the playing field i'm now don't bash me on emails people i'm being honest i like the fact that maybe it gets people out of the high country i also look at in the sense of today if you can't afford to go eat in a nice restaurant you have to eat at mcdonald's until you work your ass off and you make more money that's how life works should hunting work that way all right that's going to be a i foresee a big debate of hey, this isn't fair and I'm a hunter and I should be able to enjoy the outdoors and, and not go broke doing it. So I see different sides. My initial side right now is I don't like hiking nine miles into the wilderness and having seven people around me to hunt for mule deer and and, and this might limit that. So initially, I like the idea because I want to not run into people. Frank, how does your poverty-stricken uh, body think? Mm, the way the the... The bigger the the sheep, the goat, and the moose things always worked for at least me and my family. We got my dad, my brother, and me. We never, growing up, we never used to put in for that stuff because of of the cost. And like I said, I guess you could open up a, a credit card, a line of credit, just to put in for those tags. But um, the cost is always prevented. And I couldn't either. In, yeah. In, until you know, in the last six years, I couldn't afford it either. Um, and I was not a very good adult, so I never could get a credit card. So, Frank, go ahead. Yeah, Sorry. so I, I never put in for that stuff. And last year was the first year I ever put in for it. I mean, being completely honest. So it worked out for me. But also in the same point, you got all the extra people putting in. So it did, there really wasn't a huge benefit other than, I, yeah, I guess I got, I may have gotten a point. But a bazillion other people got a point You could wear from a T-shirt that says so, I put in for goat and sheep. <laughs> yeah, so I don't think there was a huge benefit um, for me gaining. I didn't gain anything from, from the $3 thing. I definitely think I may have lost out on on some stuff but um i think it's a good good idea to to have it more expensive at least for the for the big three um for the people who who are pretty serious about spend dropping the cash and getting the tag but i don't keep in i think well okay so this is what i think <laughs> i think colorado residents need to have something extra or get something out of this whole this whole system to where like we were talking about earlier we're we're seeing a ton of non not okay Non-residents bringing a ton of revenue to Colorado, but I don't think there's a whole lot of stuff that's working out for us as residents um, that's that's giving us a, any type of benefit for actually living here, Fuck right? no, not from what I see. Now, this is from a guy, two guys that spend 200 days a year in the field, 150 of those in Colorado. And I say days, I don't mean driving around and shit, nights in the field. We saw more hikers and hunters from out of state than in state. And I think that's a big red flag for those listening. And I'm not bashing on out of state hunters, but what I am saying as an in state hunter, you know, you kind of, um, you know, home turf and everything else, you shouldn't see just out of state hunters. And the parking lot, I'll say in the maroon bells at one point in time, um, I'm not going to say the trailhead, 37 vehicles counted 
23 were out of state. Sure. Now, I and those were hunting stickers who we could tell by peeking in windows who hunted, in, who was hunting. 23 out of state. I think that's a problem, and I do think that it shouldn't be totally impossible for an out-of-state hunter to hunt, but I think in-state hunters should be rewarded more um, in some ways than out. When I say rewarded, you should be able to draw or hunt easier than an out-of-state hunter. And when you look at over-the-counter, I mean, it's I mean, it's equal. It's hundred percent equal. Yeah, it's fifty-two forty-eight. The split right now on OTC units, and you know the importance of a resident hunter. And if you look at the future of Colorado, we have five point seven million in the state. We're growing by leaps and bounds with the economy right now. And the point that I've always tried to make is. You know, we've had ballot initiatives in the past in the state. We lost Spring Bear because of a ballot initiative. And what they'll do is they're going to make it emotional for those voters. And what we need to do is we need to grow our voter base in the state. And unfortunately, non-residents can't do that. So uh, I will say there's, you know, if you go to a sportsman's roundtable, there's ongoing discussions about hunter recruitment and retention. And it's important. I mean, one in 10 people in Colorado bought a habitat stamp. Uh, we're a diminishing uh, population segment. And so as you look at recruitment and retention, you know, this whole shift to pay later. And when I presented the CBA board position of we want to re-implement pay up front, I got to be honest with you, I was read the riot act. <laughs> It, it, you know, the application increases were viewed as a very positive thing. And there's slides and they figured out who are new applicants into the system. And I guess our point was you're not a, a hunter unless you got a license in your pocket and you're out in the field. Yep. So, you know, I don't think we necessarily view applicant increases as growing the hunter base, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, no, it, it does. Um, well, f I mean, Frank, do you mind talking about what you make? Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, so I make right now about 80 grand a year, um, roughly, and then there's some bonuses. But I, I would say I'm blue collar, right, or, or roughly. And I'd say I'm upper blue, and Frank, you're, well, I'm your boss. You're 50? Is that what I'm Yeah, I'm about 50, yeah. There you go, people. I don't even know. I'm kind of boss. <laughs> I don't really know either. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, and Frank, I would say you're, working on lower blue um i would think lower than 50 you're starting to hit in colorado anyway paycheck to paycheck barely making it because of rent and you know it's pretty expensive to live here oh yeah um uh back you know rewind to construction days or whatever uh and i you know single guy and i have child support and you know the, the whole nine yards it was easy for me to buy a tag. I never had a problem with, you know, I could always put away 50 bucks. It wasn't a big deal. When I got into the bigger game species, that's where, because it was, if I had a choice back then to pay up front 250 or 300 uh, or lose 100 but get the chance to put in, I would have lost the 100 back then because it was easier for me to lose 100, even though I got it back at that time without putting it in a credit card of losing well it's probably about a grand for moose 
cheap and goat, I think, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Seven fifty somewhere in that neck, uh, nine hundred maybe with the new fees. Yeah, unless I did a side job or something or a couple and prepped for it, and I'm not very good at adulting, so I never did that. I would have chosen to lose three hundred or one hundred and fifty. Uh, than have for three to four months, you know, close to a thousand taken out of my account. Um, that's my own perspective, obviously. Frank, what do you think? Would you have chosen to be without a grand for three to four months, or just never get one hundred and fifty back? I think the one hundred and fifty is a lot, a lot better of a deal for sure. <laughs> and also, I think um, you know, whether it be now that I'm making a little bit more money than I have in the past, I think as a hunter you kind of prioritize it's a it's a lifestyle obviously so you kind of prioritize your money around what you want to do also so i didn't think that was like a i don't think it's a major detriment to spend a little bit of money if you if that's something that you're pretty passionate about so and then but i mean obviously coming out with those big the big tags coming out with all that money all at once is is pretty substantial so i think the newer system's a little bit better now for the 52 year old What do you think? Well, I'll tell you, you know, I'm in the real estate business and for the longest time I was buying and selling foreclosed property and there's none of those left. So my (laughs) (laughs) my income last year was zero. You guys are high rollers. We're pimping. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, it's, you know, like I said earlier, it's an experience and it's – I write the check. I mean, you find a way. You find a way where there's a will, there's a way, and you'll never regret it. Now, would you have chosen to lose 150, or would you have chosen to have a grand taken out for three or four months? I would have chosen to have the grand taken out because I'm going to get it back. He's a good adulterer. That's the problem. You're yeah, good at adulting. I will mention yeah. I'm very terrible with money. <laughs> well, I'm only bringing these things up because we're going to have good adulters, right? We're going to have guys that are like, I'm getting it back. It's an investment. Right. We're going to have people like Frank and I that suck at that and probably, uh, you know, and everything else in between. And and so that's the reason why I'm bringing that up and for people to give some feedback on this after this podcast is released. Now – One of the things that I would certainly like to see kind of shifting gears here, but the same type of subject is the -the over-the-counter with caps. Uh, Do we split that as a 60, 40, 70, 30, meaning 60% of that, if it's 1,000, in-state hunters get 600 or 700 and out-of-state get three or four? Um, And or do we – well, they talked about bull only, which I'm not – I don't know about that myself, um, but touch on some of those things. Well, so let me touch from a high level on resident, non-resident allocation, if that makes sense. Yep. And I'll describe some of what I find frustrating. Uh, so, you know, there's two different uh, allocation methods within Colorado. And so some of our elk units, some of our deer units, and they're very limited, have an 80-20 allocation. And so those are high demand units. That's unit two one for elk that's unit 10 that's unit two and other units most of the units in states in the state are allocated at a 65 percent resident 35 percent non-resident which is very generous in both of those scenarios compared to other states Uh, for sheep moose and goat i think it's a 10 percent non-resident allocation and so as we look at where are we headed with the big game season structure discussions there's uh discussions right now and we're in the outreach phase about our 
archery and our growth. We're very successful. We're going to be a victim of our own success at some point in time. Uh, Fifteen years ago, there was 24,000 archery elk hunters in Colorado. Now we're at 48,000. We've doubled in 15 years. And at what point is that excessive? I, I don't know the answer to that. But as we look at BGSS, some of the talks are, how do we limit archers? And so there's proposals on the table to take us to OTC with caps. There's discussions about just going totally limited for elk in, uh, in the uh, discussions. Um, and then there's also discussions about what if we just switch from an either sex tag to a bull only tag. And so where this is all going to come uh, or end up, I don't exactly know. The one thing I would say is with OTC with caps, you know, we're going to have a meeting on January 16th at division headquarters, 6060 Broadway. It starts at 6 p.m. If you're on the front range and even if you're not on the front range, we need butts and seats at this meeting. Um, It's a meeting between uh, CBA and the leadership team of the BGSS uh, group within Parks and Wildlife. And so I think one of our questions to them is going to be, what does OTC with CAPS mean? Is there any allocation split with that? I think the only place we use it today is in our bear licensing. And, and so I'm not 100% sure. Again, the unknown. Yeah. All we know is we have everyone in the building that has a phone in front of them calling for us to make sure we get a a tag. Yeah. You know, the numbers or whatever, some of those things are unknown to us. Maybe we could figure it out. But what that cap number is, who's getting what, how fast do they sell out? You know, we don't know. So we just try and get the tag. Yeah. The one thing I would be nervous about is the epic shit show and how fast the system would go down when those tags go on sale. Right. Um, And and. To, to me, and I think you're right, it would definitely need to be clarified exactly who's getting what and, and, and so on and so forth. And then above and beyond that, I'd like to see the no, total numbers of out-of-state and in-state. You said it's a 52-48 split? In over-the-counter units. What that total number actually is, other than, you know, is it 52,000, 520,000, whatever the, you know, the number is. And then start to break down some data and, and uh, you know, obviously get um, um, a cognizant, a, a realistic number figured out that's going to actually help. Because there is, in my opinion, there is getting to be too many hunters in, in, the, in the forest. So Yeah. And, you know, to expand on the 80-20 discussion, uh, I had an issue brought to me through the Sportsman's Roundtable, right? And so if you look at Unit 61 for elk, very high demand, high popular elk hunt. Uh, It's a wonderful hunt over in Unit 61 for elk. And several years ago, we introduced, the commission introduced, an early rifle season in Unit 61. Mm -hmm. And so if you look at the archery season in 61, it's allocated today based on 80% resident, 20% non-resident. And what the commission did is they froze all units 
allocation-wise. I mean, it used to be if you got six points, they'd shift more units over to uh, 80-20. But this hunt code that was introduced, early rifle, October 1 start date, unit 61, very high demand. Today, it's allocating at 65% resident, 35% uh, non-resident. It should be 80-20, in my opinion. I approached the commission and the staff about this, and I said, hey, we need to move this. Why are we allocating at 65-35? And they froze the allocation some years ago, and the figures, the policy, if you read it, it's based on the application years of 2007, 2008, and 2009. Now, we're in, we're going into 2019. I have no idea what's relevant about applications in 2007. Yeah, nothing. Nothing, in my opinion. And so... Be the same thing, what's relevant in real estate in 2007. A lot has happened since then. Right, right. And so, you know, I've been raising the question and asking for the policy to be revised, but right now I'm hitting my uh, head against a brick wall. There's been no movement on that. Gotcha. Well, people, uh, the the man, the myth, the legend, Harold Farenbrook just walked in the door. Uh, Thanks for coming in, man. You were at the dentist, right? Yeah, 45 minutes ago. I hope I don't sound like a weirdo with a hair lip right now. I'm just Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let me show you something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you got a little bit of drool, but I don't yeah. mind. Yeah. Um, anytime I start talking about these subjects, I end up drooling anyways. Uh, I know you guys just heard what Steve was kind of saying. They just kind of introduced me to what uh, you, they went over as far as the preference points and the, and the, and the, the charge. Now they're going to charge the up fee for the 50 and a hundred dollars for non-resident resident. Um, and Aaron brought up some good points that uh, I'm going to ask him to reiterate that we kind of talked about during the break so we can kind of fill you in and lead into what I'm about ready to talk about. One of the things I talked about was um, – or we all talked about, but I, I – uh, is it for, you know, mule deer, elk, the whole nine, pronghorn, the $50 um, – application fee is it for all the animals as well as sheep goat and moose in-state and out-of-state hunters i like the idea of a 50 dollars application fee for mule deer elk and, uh, and and antelope but mule deer and elk just because i'm hoping it decreases the numbers of people applying as a selfish point fee or application fee uh point fee excuse okay. me sorry yeah. point fee uh because it increases my chance of seeing less people because uh-huh. um, I can afford to pay the 50 bucks and lose it, which is totally selfish. Um, and then I kind of thought about, okay, rewind back into the construction days in poverty. There was years that I never put in because I couldn't afford to miss the 1000 or $900 for the two or three months it was out, but I could have afforded to lose 150 or at least in my not very good adulting mind. And I would have put in. Now, we talked about from Frank's perspective as a 30-year-old, mine now, mine rewinding back to 28 to 30. Steve touched on it. So now I know you got all kinds of stuff to say. So dive on in. No, I mean, I, I totally agree with uh, um, the, the selfish side of things. Uh, and that kind of coincides with I put in for six other states. Mm-hmm. Colorado is the only state that never has – they don't make you buy a small game license. Uh, they're, they're saying they're starving for money. It cost them money to do the pay up front type thing. But all they had to do is do what their neighbors do and have – make it – if you want to eligible for a preference point, you had to buy their small game license. That would have been – as a non-resident, that would have been $80 per person. 
uh, as a resident have been $40 per person. If you had the combination, I think, uh, you know, just a hunt license or a fishing license, either one is eligible to get you, you know, a preference point. So taking that in regards, look at the millions of dollars they miss out on that. And then um, uh, as far as the uh, putting in for out of state, every state that I put in for, it, it is just like that, what Colorado's doing now. I put in for a tag. Uh, Montana just changed two years ago. You had to put the money up front. And then they changed it to no. But now it costs $210 to do all of them. It's $70 per species. Yeah. So they're – $20 more than Colorado is in regards to, um, uh, well, I take that back. Colorado is going to be $30 more than them because they're $100 for non-resident. They're $70 for me per species. Yeah. So um, we're no, I'm no stranger to it because I've been doing it in six states for over 30 years. Mm-hmm. And um, so like, uh, I hope my, my, my old wife's not listening, but Arizona, I got close to $7,000 worth of preference points. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So to get into the Colorado's deal, like I'm, I got max weighted points uh, for moose, which is 18. Um, and then I got plus three. And what are the chances, just so for people listening, what are your chances of drawing that in 2019? Well, as an example, the unit I put in for, <laughs> there was four bull tags available and one person drew with three plus zero. One person drew with 3.4, one person drew with 3.6, and the other one drew with 3.9. I have 18. Yeah. And then you look at the amount of people that had 18 to put in for the unit that I put in for, and how many people had 16, how many people had 15. Totally outnumbered the people that had less than that. But so to me, if I want to pay $50 for something, then reward me with an opportunity. And right now, there is no opportunity. So, and and I want... I want to make sure I'm going to repeat this for Harold just to make sure everybody understands because I Steve brought up that maybe a mathematician could explain that our system is no different than other states. But from a someone, uh, uh, as you say, Neanderthal knuckle dragger looking at it, why the hell didn't I draw? I got 18 points and a guy with three plus one drew or or whatever. Oh, right. So the, the chances if you had to ask Harold are you going to draw with 18 points for moose in 2019? You would not have a clue if you have a 4% chance or a 100% chance. You don't know. Right. And you haven't known for how long have you had? 18 years. Well, well plus three. So. I mean, you've, when I say this, meaning when was the first year you thought you would draw? Uh, I think the <laughs> like best. When, I, when was Christmas taken away the first time? Uh, yeah. Well, I, I, I put in for moose before they even started a preference point system for moose. So I've been putting in for well longer than 21 years. So back when it was just a lottery system, I felt I have a lot better chance than I do now with preference points. Yeah. Okay. Gotcha. And if you have no idea if you're going to draw and then you pull up all the data, which you have, and a guy draws with, he drew with three and one. Mm-hmm. Okay. So he drew with four points. Oh, three, three and zero. Three and zero. So he drew the first year he, he was, was eligible. eligible. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, there was everything in between okay. there, except for Harold, um, who didn't draw with 18. How many people have 18? I think 18? there was 84 had max points that didn't draw. So, um, yeah, so that's shitty is what I guess what I'm getting at. That's, right. that's where that'll make an in-state hunter not very happy with his state. So, and, and what 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 advantage would I have, especially if it's not an option? Steve and I touched on this a little bit yesterday. So let's say I already got max points. So essentially, if they're $50 a point, I got $900 worth of preference points. Mm-hmm. Well, why would I buy another one? 
But is a division of wildlife going to tell me, hey, if you want to put in for the tag, you're going to have to pay the 50 bucks? So this is what I was getting at. Do you just to get to keep your 18 or do you got to donate 50 bucks a year from here on out? Because you've already got your 18. You shouldn't have to put any more money in. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't <laughs> want to because I, I would rather almost be back at 3.0. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know. what's, what, what's, what exactly is the point of uh, why shouldn't it just be the max points guys that are getting looked at in the draw? I'm only? glad you said that this is like what Arizona does. And I think between Arizona, modeling between Arizona and Nevada have the best system out there. One thing you go to, you, I've been to a lot of the Mule Deer Foundation meetings in Arizona, big uh, Desert Sheep Foundation meetings in Arizona. Um, and nobody bitches about their system. And that's all you do about in Colorado. Uh, so they got they got something right. So what the deal, they used to have 30% of the tags went to the people with the max points. So the, if you had max points, you knew you were going to draw. Arizona changed that a couple of years ago. Now it's only 15%. That hurt a lot of people that had max points. So now they have a lot less chance. But what they did to reward that is if you've been a loyal customer and you have max points, we're going to have you in a max point draw. If you don't draw there, then you're also going to go back into the general draw. Mm-hmm. So you have two chance. But the advantage of that, when my daughter, she turns 12 years old, she wants to hunt. I got 30 points. In Colorado, she could never live long enough to hunt in a lot of prestigious units in Colorado. She could never live long enough to hunt. And with a point creep going on now, there's going to be one added or two added every year that she could never live long enough to hunt. In Arizona, Nevada, even with one point, the computer will give her a number to say there's 50 tags available. And if she draws a number between 1 and 50, she gets a tag. She has one chance. I got 30. But she still has a chance every year. The way Colorado has it, only only max point holders get the tags. Yeah. And, and the youth, brand new hunter, don't, you don't have to be a youth. You could just be a guy, hey, you know, like my buddy at work, he got me into bow hunting. I'm 30 years old, but I'm a newcomer. Well, a third of the state, he can never hunt. He could never do it. Yeah. No, no, you're right. You got anything to add, Steve? Well, I would say in listening to a lot of comments from people around our whole draw system. Um, The biggest complaint I hear is from those guys with max points. And so as you look at other states' system, I mean, the one that comes to mind is I put in for Utah elk, never drawn it, probably been putting in 20 years. And, you know, there's some validity to their system where you figure out, okay, part of it's random draw and how do we figure out how to divvy up some portion of the tags and reward those guys who've been in it forever. Been in it forever, yeah. Yeah. So should the system change, you know, I'd be open to discussions around changing the system. I don't know where that would go, uh, but, um, you know, I I hear the frustration out there quite frequently. And to me, the biggest thing the DOW needs to do is get rid of people that have max points. I mean, the best, get those things recycled. So to get people to draw instead of just putting in for preference points. So let's say you got, you know, my daughter, she's 10 years old, I'm 12 years old, eligible to draw. Why don't we average points? And Colorado is the only state that does this. If she has one, my dad, her grandpa has 30, I got 20, we all go down to one in Colorado. We don't average. So here she has a chance to hunt with, there'd be three generations in that hunt camp and that, that'll never happen. Grandpa don't want to put in with her because you don't want to put in for a tag that only takes one <laughs> preference point. Neither do I. So why can't I bring up my daughter who – and the kids today want that instant gratification anyways. You need to get in their blood system. So why wouldn't you go ahead and average her up to a total average, you know, 10, 30, so that's 40, split three ways. You know, you average that right around about 13 points a person. Well, 13 points a person is going to get you a pretty good tag. And now 
that generations all get to hunt together. And what it's mainly done, it took grandpa out. He, he's not a Mac. He don't have 30 points no more. Yeah. Dad don't have 20 points no more. They're all starting over. And you could just do that for like two, three years. You wouldn't have anybody out there with 20, 30 points. Well, Frank, Frank and I talked this morning different but kind of the same. Is is it feasible? And I'm not smart enough to really figure it out. Is it feasible to take however many people in the entire state that have 18 points for, for moose? We're just going to separate the moose. And then you take one pack per unit, and that's allocated to those people with max points, and you just dwindle those max pointed number guys down. For for example, if that makes any sense, and I'm only I'm just spitballing here because you may never draw ever. Yeah, no. I mean, there's a chance you could die before you draw. Right. Um, I mean, it sounds like there's a very good chance. Yes. Um, yes. I mean, and you think about that. Um, how much you've done in your case, how much you've done for Colorado, the time and effort you've put into the field um, in general, and you may never shoot a, uh, a moose in the state of Colorado. And I don't know that there's any mathematician that could tell you and make sense of it. I would like to, to meet him. It's confusing to me how the our yeah, system there, works. There, there, I know for sure there's no guarantee. Yeah. Um, even as a max point, I mean, that's proven every year that the draw comes out. Um, so... But what they could do is they've just turned those weighted points into preference points and um, had them be worth something. I definitely wouldn't be mind paying $50 for them. As a weighted point, they don't mean jack. Uh, but have them be a preference point. And then, but you can't, it would be unfair to everybody if only the max point holders got those tags. So that's where you'd have to allocate. And you got to go with numbers. Deer, elk, and antelope, you know, you're looking at probably 30 tags and 50 tags and hundreds of tags mm-hmm. available for a unit for different seasons. Well, moose. You got maybe one or two tags available. Sheep, you got three or four tags available in a unit. Or goat, same thing. So you can't – it's not comparing apples to apples. So in that situation there, you would just have to go with – if I have 30 preference points or – we'll stick with the 18 plus three. So I got 21. That would give that computer 20 – give me 21 chances Mm -hmm. to draw that number. And like what Nevada does, they do it, they multiply. Yeah. You get, they multiply it. So then if, if I have 30, then and now I got 3,000. And then that gives me 3,000 opportunities, but my daughter might only have four or five points. She still has 50 points, 50 chances to draw a number. Yeah. So everybody has a chance. Everybody know going in knows they have the chance. Now, would I be upset that some young kid drew? No, because I had a chance when I was doing that as well. Yeah, good chance. And I guess that's what I was getting at is how do you – At least then I would think I had a chance. Now I think it's, it's, it, it might as well be a total lottery. Put yeah. my name in a hat. Yeah. Well, and, and that's what I was getting at is limiting the numbers to where you know you've got a chance to draw. Meaning let's say it wasn't 18 points. You took the people from 14 to 18 or 12 to 18 and put them in a pool and drew them separately as – newcomers, the guys that have earned it, to try to just simplify that to get them a tag. And I mean, however you would do that, um, Unit 2 and 201 are the same thing. Right. Um, unit right. 44, rut hunt rifles, kind of the same. I mean, what does it take to draw that now? 18, 21 points for I me? Think, yeah, I think you're rubbing 20 points easily. Yeah, yeah and, and I mean, Frank and I, this is, we don't have to worry about this shit. We don't have very many points. We burn them. Um, mm-hmm. And I burn them because of people like you. Yeah. Um, because I, <laughs> I'm truly, I burn those points because I've seen what can happen. Um, I, I burn them on five point or less units. I can't with moose, but you know what I mean for elk and mule deer because I would much rather have uh, the chance to hunt every five years and shoot a big bull than wait to hunt two or 201 for 
20, 25 years. A lifetime. A, yeah. a lifetime. And so, that's that's what I mean by uh, so, so much units are turned into once-in-a-lifetime hunts. And um, I could name off a dozen units that a youth could never live long enough to hunt it. So you talk about, you know, I burned a lot of points two years ago for uh, elk. I drew a unit with 25 preference points that only took seven points. But it was an opportunity from a doll sheep hunter that I guided in Alaska. He has a ranch in Unit 40. And I've never had a private property in my life. I was like, man, this is my opportunity to go do this. And so because I'm guiding in Alaska for the last four or five years, I haven't even been putting in for an elk tag. I've just been putting in for preference points because I knew I wouldn't be here. Mm-hmm. Well, now that I got that opportunity to hunt that ranch, um, I, I went ahead and did it. So now I'm back down to you know one point. Well, now two points. Was it worth it? It was worth it. I I'm, I don't know that I could go back to public land now. I mean, it was like <laughs> holy cow! I've never had. I walked away from bulls that I would never do in my life in 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 some of the public units that I hunt. And um, so, guess what I'm getting at is this. I'm looking at that. I'm like, there's other units that I've helped friends out in that you know took two or three points. Well, now we're talking about the point creep going on in Colorado. So when you say I'm putting for units that take four or five and then you're okay with drawing every four or five years, well, by the time it gets to there, I wouldn't be surprised at all. Now it's going to be eight or nine. There's a point in time where you're never going to be able to catch up. Right. And I I guess what I was getting at, um, what I definitely was, is fixing those issues to where, I mean, I would would choose to, I mean, and there's... you brought it up. You said it very clearly. I would rather go. I don't want to go hunting. I want to go on a good hunt. Um, meaning, do you want to come out to Colorado and say you went hunting, drag your bow around, see hunters, and never see any elk, or do you want to have a have a realistic chance of killing an elk or a mule deer? And I think that, I mean, Frank and I see it. You're in Alaska at this times. Hunters everywhere. When you know when we go in some of these areas, and I think the over the counter with caps is a damn good idea, uh, like a seventy thirty split in state to out. So if you don't draw some of these other units, you still have a chance to hunt a good hunt on an over the counter tag where it's pretty difficult, not impossible, um, to hunt over the counter and not run into a million people and and you know, still do it on public land. I mean, I don't, what do you think? Well, just like what Aaron said right there, you know, um, and as Steve said earlier, um, you know, with Unit 61 being up to like 35, um, and they've, they've made these rules that they're breaking all the time in regards to how many non-resident tags are allowed for sheep, goat, moose, and now deer and elk. Um, and for the non-residents listening, I'm nothing against non-residents. Like I said, I put in for six other states. I'm going to be a non-resident too. And uh, I've always been treated like gold anytime I have drawn a non-resident tag. And and I, I don't want to take that away from anybody, but anybody's saying, God, those guys are getting kind of hard on us. It's going to, they're trying to you know stereotype us away from everybody else. We're not. If you look at Arizona, it's max 10 points, 10 percent of the tags go to non-residents, but not to exceed 10 percent. It doesn't have some years. It doesn't go to 10. So it, it, it's not to exceed 10. You got New Mexico, 3% go to non-residents. So we're, we're still 100, I mean, 100% better than any other state you could put in for by doing the, 10, the, the 20 or the 30%. So we're not knocking it and we think it's a comfortable and every, I invite everybody to the state. But like Aaron just touched on, I think Colorado Division of Wildlife can make money. If they're looking to make money, they could go ahead and start charging for parking because most of the places that a lot of people go, these trailheads and stuff like that, you can't even find a place to park anymore. Yeah, it's ridiculous. 
even scouting is a yeah. nice and the old nightmare. Cl- the old cliche of um, you know you got backcountry hunters and stuff like that, and I you know the old cliche of getting a mile off the road, you had the woods to yourselves. That's gone. And I blame Kafaro. They get really good, you know, backpacks <laughs> and stuff like that. <laughs> Definitely pr- promoting it. Well, yeah. how many little us's did we see back there this year? Yeah, we were back quite a ways, and I think you had I eight, one guy, maybe seven or eight different yeah. hunters, and there was also people camping at a nearby uh, pond. So yeah, yeah, I mean, we had hikers and hunters, and this is a long. This isn't a gimme. I mean, it's right, a long right. ways in, and in in some cases. Uh, I, you said it very well. I'm glad you had the numbers. I'm not saying I don't want out-of-state hunters here. I just don't want them all to be here. And and, they, and, 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 and and without them even knowing, they don't want everybody here either. They want to have a quality hunt when they do get the tag. Well, and, and I've gotten some pretty, yeah, I'd say hateful, but very direct emails about, well, you're sure not fair, whatever. How much public land, let's say, is in, how much public land is in uh, Missouri or Kansas? Is there very much? Hardly any. Hardly any. All right. Well, my ass doesn't get to show up in your state. I don't have the <laughs> option, right? I mean, mm-hmm. we we have to pay for – well, you hunt out there too. Mm-hmm. you got to pay for a, a lease or have a buddy or whatever. We don't get to, get to show up. So put yourself in our shoes, meaning how would you like it if you go to get in your tree stand um, – and 14 people from Colorado show up, um, you know, right beside you or whatever because it's over the counter. It would probably change people's perspective on That's it. That's a good point. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, you know, some of the pressure is not hunters at all. I made the mistake of hunting elk in Boulder County this year. And, <laughs> and that's oh, where you oh, fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> opening weekend, I mean, there was recreationalists all over the place. There's people walking their dogs. There's people, you know, you're out uh, and you're wanting a wilderness experience. And I've got this guy and he's got his radio just cranked up as high as it would go. And I mean, he's playing Alabama. And I'm thinking, <laughs> wait a minute, if you're playing Alabama, you got to be 65 years old. I mean, <laughs> what are you doing? And so, you know, opening weekend was awful. The next weekend was the holiday weekend, and it was even worse. And so it's not only hunters, but it's everybody else in the woods here in Colorado, too. So, yeah. And that and that has to be considered in regards to, you know, where you hunt and where you choose to hunt. Um but uh, I mean, I I I hunt in a in an area that I've always been able to go. And, and Aaron and I share the same woods up there. We looked at some pictures of stuff we'd never tell anybody. And we're like, oh, I've been there before. Yeah, I've been there before too. We recognize where we've been in in uh, in this particular unit, and it's. Uh, it's not the same as it was. I no. mean, it is. I, I'm running into people where I never saw anybody before. And I, if I ever ran into somebody back in there, I know they earned it. I'd shake their hand. Hey, if you need help with this elk, I'll help you pack it out. I mean, it's. I mean, they earned it. I mean, but now when I talk to people, um, uh, especially like in the circles and stuff like that, it's like, um, how'd you find out about this? Oh, the DOW told me. Yeah. This is where I need to be. They, they actually sent me the peg of where I needed to go. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, now there are people in the woods because they're just uh, um, someone they didn't and or social media. And, and social media is killing hunting and in, in, in some of this stuff, I think, in regards to guys that just want to find uh, – uh, shoot a great big bull, a great big elk as their first timer. Good luck. Awesome job. Congratulations. But I kind of keep that close to my chest. Where somebody else is going to want to say, "Hey, Goth Carter, you know, this is where I shot this bull. You want to come shot this spot?" Well, now something I could draw every other year turns into I can't draw ever again because it's been publicized. So selfishly, I'm like, 
God, I, I found out it by myself. And if you found it by yourself, I'll help you. I'll shake your hand. But if you're cheating the system and just hauling ass up there along with you and then not kind of find a place to park, then that's where it kind of I get a little upset. Yeah. No, I mean, I. you think um, aside from the stuff you mentioned, you think like the like Onyx Maps, Google Maps, electronic maps you think that's also increased the amount of people in certain areas because i was just thinking about this the other day on some on this like whitetail hunt that i have in this antelope thing we'd always go get like a blm map or something like that a paper map people aren't using that stuff anymore so i think technology is probably also you helping know, and that's a good point frank because um uh i, I did having google earth uh to sit there i mean i always use those seven minute topo maps mm-hmm. and i'd look at those things and study and go man this looks like a marshy area it's an intermittent stream so it's probably not going to be running when i'm up there but chances are an elk can make a wallow out of that because it's probably the surface water is only going to be like a couple inches underneath it so i would pick out those spots as opposed to now i can go on google earth and that kind of stuff and i could i can flat see it yeah. You know, so you, that's a very good point. I think the technology is bringing people further into the woods. Uh, and not only that, the, the, the equipment getting lighter uh, and technology bringing them to uh, some spot-on spots. That one guy that we ran into that went back home, mm-hmm. um, not the guy that lives here, but the one who was in yeah. South Carolina, Google Earth, right? Now, he Google Earth makes shit look easier than it is, right? <laughs> well, unless yeah. you've already been yeah, there, I will does. say – it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life, right? He he barely made it to the past, the summit, right? And I thought he was going to fucking die. Yeah. And uh, so I'm inquisitive, and, and, and he knew who I was. And I, I, what made you pick here, right? Well, I got on Google Earth, and I listened to, you know, info from Eastman's and podcasts, and it, it had cliffs and whatever. And I was like, did the hike look easy on Google Earth? He said, like, Google Earth is full of shit. I mean, he, <laughs> he went back home that day. But he was able to get close to the right spot from, from Google Earth. Now, he couldn't physically get to the right spot. Mm-hmm. But Google Earth got him to, to know where it was. He, he said he'd never do it again. I mean, he says the dumbest shit he ever did in his life. But that was all literally from, at least from South Carolina, mm-hmm. and figured it out off Google Earth. So, and, and again... There's some of this stuff's not ever going to be able to change. We're not going to put a ban on Google Earth or on X Maps, and I like on X Maps, but yeah, it helps. Oh yeah, it helps. But I think um, restricting the numbers and and awarding in-state hunters is definitely a good uh, way to go. And you were talking about the they were complaining or not complaining, bringing up how many bow hunters there are now. Yeah, um, what were they saying exactly about that? Just that the numbers have increased to whatever percentage and. Well, you know, it's an interesting conversation. And as I mentioned earlier, in 15 years, we've gone from, and this is elk, uh, 24,000 archery elk hunters to now we're at 48,000, probably even higher in the last year or two. Those numbers are a year or two old. Uh, But for archery deer, we're only putting 11,000 afield. Uh, For pronghorn archery, we're only putting 1,800 guys out in the field. And so as you look at uh, the proposals to limit elk hunters within the big game season structure, I do want to point out one of the proposals that we have brought forth for Parks and Wildlife and the Commission to consider is the thought of an earlier starting west of I-25 deer season. And so I had a chat with Andy Holland, the big game manager at Parks and Wildlife. He was in favor of this proposal. And the thing that you got to remember with Parks and Wildlife is it's really good to bring forth simple 
simple proposals because uh, <laughs> regulations get really complex really fast and nobody can understand them. So the proposal that we've got out there on the table is you look at crowding in the elk season – how can we shift some of that participation out of the elk season and improve the quality for the existing elk hunters? And so if we look at deer season starting earlier, and I think the proposal that we're going to advocate for and push for is that uh, west of I-25, the deer season would start and align with the pronghorn season. And so that starts currently around 15th of August. August. And so if you think about that, uh, deer season starting August 15th, west of I-25, who's going to be in the woods up high if you want to go chase a high country buck? Me? me, I would, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And and the bucks are going to be in velvet, uh, very appealing to archers, I think, as a whole. Um, What are they probably at 90? 8% growth at August 15th. There ain't a whole lot left. There's not there? a whole lot left. It, it depends on the elevation yeah. where they're hanging out. Yeah. Now, I think what it would be is it would be bucks only until September 1st. Mm-hmm. But I think we're okay with that. And if you align it with pronghorn, I mean, in reality, that's a five-week season. And so if we can get some help through this BGSS, our board is really excited about this proposal. I haven't met anybody that says, I'm not excited about that. And if if we could shift... (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited about it. If we could shift some of that pressure out, it might improve our elk hunt. It might improve our deer hunt. You know, it'd create a quality opportunity for mule deer. And for those guys who uh, hunt on the eastern plains, a lot of archers like that, uh, you know, maybe it alleviates some point pressure from other places to go. Maybe it can make the system better. And we don't have that many deer hunters, so uh, we're excited about about trying to move that forward. I mean, you could even take it a, a step further in regards to having a late season archery hunt in Colorado uh, in regards to west of I-25. We don't have one. Right. Uh, uh, we, I mean, we don't have one. So um, after the fourth season rifle's over with, then that's kind of the end of it. So could you get a certain percentage of uh, bull hunters to now have that opportunity to hunt archery a cow hunt, archery, deer hunt, you know, in the rut, that kind of thing. So that would also take another percentage on both sides of it, early and late. And then you got the middle, so you can split it up. I wouldn't say in thirds, but you could probably go, a th- you know, uh, a little bit in the evening and in the late part, a little bit in the early part, and still only have maybe two thirds in the middle. And that's going to alleviate a lot of pressure. Yeah, because you, I don't, especially when the DOW doesn't consider archery part of their harvest report, even their hardest harvest statistics. We're not a management tool. No, no, they're not even considering a part of it. And that's what's irritating, too, is that every time they increase tags or something like that or they want to eliminate more elk, they always offer that to the rifle hunters. They never give the opportunity for the archery. And if they want to pull tags, they pull from the archery side of it and give it to the rifle. So it just uh, – uh, and why would you ever pull from some, a source that is never part of the consideration in regards to harvest in the first place? No, that makes sense. And I, I like the idea of the, you know, the earlier hunt – you know, a high country guy because there's not that many high country hunters anyway. And so it does um, could, you know, potentially weed out. I, I guess what I'm looking at is how many guys go in that first week with just a deer tag in their pocket in comparison to deer and elk. Right. Um, you know, that may have guys shuffle their um, 
their leave, their time off around at work to where they're like, well, I don't want to go out the first week and not have the chance of shooting an elk. So I'm just going to wait and go for elk more than deer. And that could possibly drop tags because how many people do you know if they're hunting an over-the-counter unit that's a draw for mule deer put in for both even though they may never hunt mule deer just to have the tag in their pocket, if that makes sense. Right. If they start that earlier, they may not do that because that first week they can't hunt elk. So that would probably limit some numbers too. Which Yeah, I think it's an awesome idea. I mean, I'm way supportive of, of what they've, you know, the creativity they've done to do that. And they've kept it simple at the same time. Yeah. Um, and, when, you know, earlier, you know, back when we were doing these podcasts almost a year ago, I mean, I'm, I was suggesting the same thing with our bighorn sheep. Bighorn sheep ain't rutting. They're not in the velvet. They don't need to do nothing. So why can't you start the season August 1st uh, or even into July rather than when they do? Um, um, I mean, that's a whole other subject that's really touchy that we might get on that why, you know, like in in, in certain units, uh, the rifle season is 11 days longer than the archery season. I mean, that that's not even that's not even being cordial at all. I mean, they want to keep – that's – uh, prejudice almost in my mind. Well, the good news on that is, you know, sheep is not a part of the big game season structure. So certainly we could approach CPW about that uh, at any point in time. We don't have to wait for the next five years to approach that. And we can, you know, look at that from a citizen's petition perspective or approach. Citizen petitions. Uh, can you yeah. explain that? Yeah. So the Parks and Wildlife Commission does have a process for citizens to bring forth regulatory issues and you can contact the regulations manager down there. She'll provide you with a uh, blank petition and you can fill that out. Now you want to do your homework before you submit any citizen's petition and it's best to garner support from as many people as you can, as many conservation organizations as you can, the Bighorn Society, whatever mm -hmm. the case might be, prior to submitting that. Uh, but that's an avenue for the public at large to try to ap approach and pass regulatory issues. Because right now, um, uh, we touched on this a little bit, I think, our last podcast, you know, with 11 days difference. I mean, and then their answer to that, and I uh, talked to the wildlife official down south, um, and he looked into it. And he goes, the reason why they did that is because they didn't want archery bighorn sheep to interfere with archery deer and elk. But yet it was okay to have rifle sheep interfere with archery deer and elk. What would you rather have? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. And it's also based around a holiday. It's like it needed to be a certain amount of days after or a certain amount of days before. And that's how they come up with the structure. And it, it uh, if anybody needs a little more time in the woods, it's the bow hunter. Um, or we request it, would like it. I mean, if you're a half-decent bow hunter and you're up there scouting stuff, God, I mean, I mean, I can't imagine, you know, why a rifle hunter would need more days. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes you have the discussion, well, why is it this way? And it just sort of happened that way over time. And so, you know, it's a valid question to ask. And if we can assist in that, let us know. Because I'm a high altitude, yeah, I, and we will. Uh, if I'm a high altitude buck hunter, um, would I would rather be sharing the high altitude with bighorn sheep rifle hunters or high altitude bighorn sheep bow hunters? Definitely the bow hunters. <laughs> Definitely. I mean, I mean, why making all those you know racket in the woods when yeah. uh, and when it's bow season? Right. When it's bow season. So uh, I'd like to touch on that. No, definitely. Um, the you know some of the other things as far as we're getting you know emails about and and um, you know I brought up that there was a post on the CBA about the eight dollar price increase. Um, you know, 
you weren't in here when we talked about that. So just to get your two cents in, that was not well received for the most uh, part from people on the the post that the CBA had made that the in-state hunters got a $8 price increase uh, and the out-of-state did not, although the price has not increased for 15 years for in-state hunters. What are your feelings on that? Um, I, I personally have no problem paying the $8 increase. Um, and, um, but I don't know why they wouldn't uh, send that across the board to anybody hunting this state. Uh, it shouldn't be just limited to residents. Is that what you're saying? No, just if it bothered you for the $8 uh, increase no. as an in-state hunter. No, it's been a long time for an increase and, um, and times have changed as long as that money goes into concerns as if what we're doing, as, as, as what we're doing in this podcast, um, it, it goes into making me have a better quality hunt, uh, more of an opportunity to, to continue to hunt this state instead of it, this state turn into a once in a lifetime hunting state. So as long as it goes into helping me and I would love to do anything I could for, to help them help me. And, uh, and in that regards, if that money's going to a good place and I, I, I'm okay with it. That, that's the same thing we all said, pretty much. And I think one thing you touched on that, uh, you know, I will mention is, well, two things. So our pricing will now carry the CPI adjustment. So while it's $8 next year or this coming year, it might be another buck the year after that. It might be another buck the year after that. And, you know, 15, 20 years from now, if an elk tag's $53 now, 15 years from now, it might be 106 depending upon consumer price index. So keep that in mind. And then the other thing that I would mention is you kind of touch base on the future generations bill, paying additional money and what your expectations are that you're going to get in return. And so I would urge everybody to write the Wildlife Commission because I don't know that your expectations and the public at large expectations are necessarily aligned with uh, what the bill said they're going to do. So if you have those expectations, let the Parks and Wildlife Commission know those are your expectations. Well noted. Yeah. Do you happen to have the email that they should send that into? Well, if you want to converse with the uh, commission or you want to provide input, their email node is the letters DNR underscore CPW commission at state dot co dot us and so if they you, made it easy yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> and and if you just google up parks and wildlife commission or cpw commission you can get to their home page and there's a button there that says contact the commission and boom it'll pop it into your outlook or whatever you're using so gotcha cool um I need to take a leak. So, Harold, why don't you touch on some of the other things that um, we have talked about Well, since you've been in Alaska and, uh, you know, some of the other ideas you've had um, as far as maybe potentially fixing some of these issues and pretty much whatever you have to kill time that's not too important so I don't get out of the loop. All right. Um, kind of what I think we already talked about a little bit in regards to, um, um, like, trying to get hunters to use their points, uh, trying to get thing, everything down to an even keel. There was a time when the DOW, I think it was four or five years ago, only required you to use the amount of preference points you had, I mean, that the unit needed plus one. So if, say, Unit 61 takes uh, 15 points, um, and you had your guy, or it takes 10 points, you had 20 points, you could potentially hunt that unit twice, two times in a row, or maybe have to wait a year. 
if they just would have stuck to that program for more than one year, um, there would be nobody in that 20-point pool, that 15-point pool, because the guys would have dug their heels in to hunt like a 201 and said, man, I got 20 points. I'm right there. I'm not going to give up now. Fine. But I would say there was a majority of them that would have said, holy cow, I can hunt two really quality units with the amount of points I have, maybe even three, shuffle things around. There would have been a void time for the other people that was hunting that unit that only took point, five points. And that if they when they split that up and somebody might be hunting that unit like three times in a row, so now that went up to six points or something. But they just would have this stayed the course, like I said, for that three or four months, three or four years. There we wouldn't. I don't think we'd be having this conversation with things turn into a once in a lifetime hunt. Nobody would have that many points. They would have moved things around, shuffled them around, and the people that didn't would have drawn by now. I mean, that was a that was a phenomenal thing. That I think one of the best things they ever did, and why it's not revisited. Um, uh, I would really like someone to explain that to me because it was the best program I think uh, out of all the states that I put in for of how to get people to start burning their points. One thing I can say, Harold, is uh, just to give you an update. In August at the commission meeting in Fort Collins, there was actually a sportsman's panel with a – and I think we touched base on this back at the time. You were about ready to go to, go Alaska, to, yeah. go to Alaska. And so at that panel, there was a diverse group. There was myself representing bow hunters. We had the Wildlife Federation, the Muzzleloader Association. Terry from the Bighorn Society was there. And uh, there was just an open discussion and forum around preference points, preference points systems, you know, point banking, the hybrid system, all the options that are out there to consider. And there's a lot of options. And so, uh, you know, the discussion ended. I think it was helpful for the commissioners. And I believe it's supposed to come back to the agenda of the Parks and Wildlife Commission at some point in the short-term future. So keep your eyes peeled on the agenda. I'll try to let our members know with the broadcast email and getting it out on social media. But hopefully we're going to have another opportunity to, I don't know if conclude those discussions is the right word, maybe continue those discussions and figure out, are there some options that people prefer? All right. Steve's really helped me along the way. Um, uh, Marv Klinke introduced us and kind of got us going. And Steve's really good as far as the legislature, knowing the people, knowing the, the correct verbiage for different positions could be put out there. And I really wanted to get involved with the Sportsman Roundtable and um, feel like it'd be a real uh, a, um, a source to go to and a, and a, and a spokesperson, spokesperson for people that uh, want to continue to hunt this state and have a quality hunt. And um, so there was several different options of how I could be elected to the board. Uh, unfortunately, when they did and we had all our ducks in a row and I was going to go down there, I was excited about it, but they had it August 1st. And I left for Alaska July 29th, so I couldn't get in there. But um, um, I, I'm not going to give up on it. And I think with uh, Steve's help and uh, keeping his eyes peeled for me, and I'm also doing the same thing, I'm going to try to get on this roundtable and, um, and, and have some kind of influence for uh, like this the listening audience here. I think that uh, – and I don't know what I missed while I was using the restroom, but one of the I- – I like the idea of the sharing points, um, your preference points, especially for obviously elk and mule deer for to get people's points down. Because let's say, I don't know, pick up Randy Cooling. I don't. He's a buddy of ours, trad guy. You know, mm-hmm. let's say Randy's got twelve points and Frank and I have one each. 
he's not out here all the time to hunt elk. Frank and I can scout it. You kind of partner up and you burn them all at one time. And mm-hmm. instead you're drawing a you know, four or five point unit. I think that that is – did you guys talk about this at uh, all? Or? Just a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I, th- I, th- I think – I don't know how anybody would be opposed to that um, because I if, say, I've, like you just said, um, well, your buddy has a bunch of points. He doesn't know what to do with them. He's relying for his friends out here in Colorado to, to know the unit, you know, kind of dial him in to where he should put in with that many points. And it's like you just kind of have the opportunity to help somebody out, hunt with a friend. Yeah. And, and, and to be able to do that, you don't have enough points. So you're like, God, I don't have enough points where I'd like you to hunt because – but I don't want to screw you because I don't want you to put in for what I can draw because you got so many more points. You're allowed to such. But if you're able to average points, then all of you can go and have a quality hunt and, and burn points at the same time. How many elk points do we have for Wyoming at this table? Zero for me. I got three, I think, or four. Uh, I boycotted Wyoming, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll just extend it to the listeners. I mean, Wyoming uses averaging. Mm-hmm. I have eight Wyoming L points. If there's somebody out there who has 12 or 15 or whatever more, I'll take you to my hunting spots and you'll <laughs> lift me up to yeah. the well, level that it takes and, and to And that's the exact point we're talking about. And it's no different. Arizona also averages. Uh, and What I can see happening here is hunting forums, yeah. which I think is smart. A guy that's in... Uh, pick a state, Pennsylvania, who's got 13 points that says, hey, I'm green as grass, never been on a hunt. I will share my points with you. Of course, he could probably get screwed too, but you can meet on a hunting forum. It's kind of like Tinder, right? Mm-hmm. Or Grinder? Is it Grinder or Tinder? Friend? I think it's Tinder. Okay. Um, and then they <laughs> chit-chat. They can have a conversation. They both get to hunt, and that guy burns all his points and brings them down and to And that's none. the whole goal, I think, here, is to get everybody down to a medium to where I'm not telling my daughter, hey, you can never hunt this end of the state. <laughs> yeah, which is true. I mean, you can never go to these places. I mean, would you see those animals on the wall? That's back whenever it was you could do, but not, you, you'll never be able to do that. Well, you think, you think there would be concerns of people selling selling, or selling an opportunity to group up with somebody? You think that might be a concern I, of the know, CBW? I wouldn't give a shit as long as they got rid of their points, but I bet that would be a concern. You it, know? Well, it, you could, know. it could I've, be a concern, but – I've been to public meetings where guys said, you know, we have transferable landowner vouchers. Yeah, he gets to sell yeah, so his. So how about letting me sell my points? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, Colorado was the model state for turning hunting into a money man's game. We yeah. were the model state for that. We're the only state that has allows landowners, no discredit to landowners. Uh, I mean, nobody's disputing the fact that if you own property, you should be able to hunt your own land. And there's preference, there's landowner tags for own land and for the immediate family. You're going to draw those all the time. Then you got the tag to where it's for private property only, and those are marketable. Yeah. But you don't have to even allow the person to hunt your property. Then you got the one unit wide tag that landowners, and that's the only person, the only reason you would ever develop that is so you could make money. It has nothing to do with anything else other than I got a unit wide tag, and if I'm in a unit 61, a 201, I'm going to make some money on this sucker. Yeah. And um, Colorado is a state that has allowed that to happen. Um, and we're the, that's the only state that's allowed that to happen. We have turned Colorado into a money man state, period. So, you know, I, I would be like right back at you. If I got 13 points and somebody from Pennsylvania, I don't even know. But I'm going to take him to my hunting spot. So I'm going to have to have a good gut feeling about him. Yeah. And and we're going to be hunting together. Yeah. So it's uh, I think it's it's um, it's like right back at you. I mean, there should be nothing illegal about me helping somebody else out that's helping me. No, for for sure. Or bringing me up. Yeah, I think um, some of the other. Um, well, I mean, I not to start 
World War Three on this thing, but we had talked earlier about really limiting the points, and you'd brought up, you know, it's even less in other states, so thirty percent isn't that bad of a thirty percent, twenty five percent higher than most all the states that are sort of touching us. Right, right, exactly. And then you know you look at that, and if it's is it dropping revenue, which it would be, there's other ways to regenerate the revenue. Um, you brought up parking. <laughs> we went on that goat hunt. Yeah. Um, the, oh. Jesus Christ on his throne on a weekday we could barely park on a weekday and so the other thing that I had talked with you about earlier was you know the state will eventually have to come into just a statewide outdoor tax for people whether they hunt or not because of the I don't think hunters and fishermen will be able to take the lion's share of the financial weight forever. Eventually, it's going to have to go to hikers and outdoorsmen and everything. Just to, it's going to be taxed, um, you know, throughout the entire state. Does yeah. the Colorado Lottery put in money to the outdoors? I don't know. Oh, GoCo contributes a huge amount of dollars to parks and wildlife. Yeah, and a lot of it's used for conservation easements and those sorts of things. There's certain uses that are allowed and certain that are not. So, but big contributor. Parking, you know, if you charge for um, a park pass or whatever of twenty bucks a year, to Washington does it. You got to have three stickers on your vehicle to hunt park. <laughs> and wa- have you ever hunted Washington? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, you got to have three stickers to hunt the state on your window. Like so, in Baker, you got to have two. There's a state one, and then there's a Baker one. And I don't know. There's four or five hundred cars at one time at Baker. So they think of that money. So there is a lot of money to be, you know, revenue to be generated yeah, from that. And it shouldn't be no longer the burden of uh, the sportsmen, uh, the outdoorsmen. When, when I say outdoorsmen, it's not confused. I'm talking about outdoorsmen that hunt and fish. Yeah. Uh, taking on the burden of all the search and rescue and stuff like that coming out of our dime and what we put into it. Because if some Joe Blow cross-country skier gets lost, you get caught in avalanche, um, that those rescuers are, I mean, that, that comes from money from all of our hunting and fishing licenses. Well, and when, how many people, I don't know, how many times, how often do you go up to Guanella Pass? Um, very uh, frequently? Uh, probably at least two to three times a year. And I, I would say, and Dotson could help out with this and his guys, I would be willing to bet 500 cars are on Guanella Pass at one time um, to go hike up here, stat and everything else. Mm-hmm. That's free parking. You know, they're not paying. I mean, a park pass, we would be, that's a that's a lot of, of a generation of monetary funds for everyone. And, you know, the, the, the crappy thing is, is hunters take uh, kind of a, a black eye from that because when it's feasible for a hunter to go, you're not going to hunt. It's going to be difficult for you, and I've been there for this, to hunt moose or goat in the case of Guanella Pass because there's 500 hikers there. And so that kind of limits you from being able to hunt there without causing a, a crisis. Dawson was there for the one crisis. Well, well that's thus, the reason why you can't hunt on weekends in a lot of it, those units. Um, yeah. they're, they're in a certain you know distance from the highway and, and stuff like that is to keep things a lot of people look at it as being an eyesore uh, yeah. as far as seeing a hunter walking around with a bow or a rifle. And, and it's, I mean, the reason why those animals are there is because of the hunter, but it, it you know, they just don't look at it that way. And yeah. um, there's, uh, as far as the the park, I would have to think that hunting and fishing has done this for such a long time. Those sportsmen buying those tags, buying a hunt license, a fishing license that helps support search and rescue and things like that, that if you had a hunt license, would we discuss about making that you exempt? If you have a hunting and fishing license, you you get that sticker. But if you're somebody up there just enjoying all the benefits of uh, the trail hiking, hunting, graves, tories, bridge that, 
And if you don't have a hunting and fishing license, you should have to have some kind of license, like a like a twenty dollar, like a a, a place, <laughs> so you can use the woods just like yeah, we do. Yeah, you want to cross the bridge, you got to pay the toll. I mean, I like that idea, and I think you know when your tag gets sent out of your hunting license, your your park pass gets stuck in there. Yeah, because you've you've already been contributing for years and years and years for as long as you've been a sportsman. So now if, if this is something new that comes on a board and somebody grabs a hold of this, it's like yeah, if you have hunting and fishing license, you're exempt because you know you're 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 paying into it already. But if you don't have one. You're going to have to buy some sort of a deal. Yeah, I mean, you're causing damage to the terrain, the outdoors. You're, yeah. you know, when, when I mean, in the case of, for example, trail crews and things like that, I don't know too many hunters that complain about when they're hiking in on the trail that the trail's rough. But I know a lot of hikers that complain that want the maintenance done to the trails and it could pay for that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's a good way. Did you, you look like you got something to say. Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, we're sort of crossing into the realm of federal land agencies, too. And that's a whole nother topic and uh you know they have their own budget challenges and and even though we don't have a even though we buy our parks and wildlife state licenses you know federal lands is a total another nightmare to consider and our current governor for the longest time has had a trails connect initiative and we're talking about things like hunter crowding and you know we're putting forth effort right now to build trails through winter range where we don't want people going and so you know it's a double-edged sword and what's the right answer yeah i mean a lot of people that don't like hunters because they think they're killing everything and things like that it's like you yeah. know what hunters are sneaking up on the animals they don't want to scare them they're they're savvy to yeah. them being there <laughs> it's, it's, and the last place a hunter is going to put his camp is right in the middle of a bowl a big basin right there because he knows he's going to scare everything out of it so and then when you go up there as a hunter you're thinking god i don't want to put my camp over there because i can't wait to look over into this bowl so you sit your camp off to the side and into the into the timber where you know animals are not going to be spooked and you peek up over to this glass this and you see 20 camps down there yeah. and I, I guarantee you not one of them is going to be a hunter and so who's harassing wildlife yeah <laughs> frank i mean let's talk about that could you and i compared to the hikers harassing wildlife we had hikers rolling boulders off of cliffs into bedding areas screaming at the top of their lungs playing music i mean truly i mean when you somebody would argue that but when you're watching a mule deer that you're honestly about to go shoot and a hiker comes over screaming at the top of his lungs and that deer bolts for 400 yards to get out of the way from that hiker screaming who caused more damage i mean who's causing it more issues to wildlife and you had to deal with yeah, it's 15 they're, they're definitely whether hikers. they're uh, whether they're intentionally doing it or not they're definitely disturbing the wildlife yeah so not necessarily harassing but yeah i had I don't know, 15 hikers camped out in the middle of a, a spot the night before I saw three really nice bucks. So, yeah, I mean, they're definitely disturbing wildlife. You know, the crazy part of all of that that I want to make sure everybody's aware of is what happens is the disturbance you're describing when we get into these discussions with parks and wildlife, what often happens is rifle hunters stand up and they say, it's the bow hunters they're causing all of this migration onto public land or onto private lands into these refuges and we're not getting our harvest because the bow hunters when in reality it might be all the recreational activity bow hunters aside and so there's an impact there that everybody needs to be aware yeah, of i think and, there's probably a half dozen uh, uh just regular recreationists for every hunter in the wood yeah and, oh shit i man it's 
And, I think it's way worse than that. Yeah, it probably is. So, <laughs> when it, like I said, hunters are trying to be sneaky. They don't want to spook the animals because once they go on the private property, they can't go after them either. So, they don't want them there as well. So, the last thing they're going to try to do is push something into a park, push something into the, the private property. They're going to try to be sneaky as opposed to, you know, anybody else up there like where I hunt sheep, you know, well – I mean, there's a lot of 14ers involved. So, I mean, I, I couldn't wait to get up. It's a bivy sacked in. I'm at, at about 13,000 feet. Can't wait to get these sheep. Wake up. Then I hear something in the middle of the night. And I'm like, what is this? And it is a crew. There was like 30 people guided. <laughs> yeah. Walking up at three o'clock in the morning with headlamps on because oh. they want to get up. Because what happens in the kind of late morning is you got your thunder boomers that come around and roll over the hills mm -hmm. that time of year. So they want to be up there before that happens. So what do they bump? All the sheep. All the sheep. Yeah. And they put them into areas that they've never been to before. And some of, some of these deer, elk, sheep, looks like that, aren't wintering as well as they could be because, like, what you just brought up here, go, putting trails to wintering grounds. That, hunters would never do that and ain't asking for that. Um, they, they want the wildlife and they know what they need to do. A lot of the ski resorts are blocking a lot of the wintering ranges to go to South Park, North Park. Uh, they can't even get there now because of certain, you know, uh, neighborhoods that are being bought. Or not neighborhoods, uh, just – Things that are going on with highways, things that are going on with ski resorts, expanding, expanding, expanding. So uh, I would – I wish there was a stat out there other than this common sense of how much we are – at least if they're saying we're harassing wildlife, yeah. we're also – our money that buying the tags to do it is also doing research and development to sustain wildlife. Yeah, and help What out. are they doing to sustain wildlife? Yeah, and a lot of this I would say is um – not a lot, but a good portion of it, I guess, is um, is speculation. Since you talk about rifle hunters, bow hunters run. You know, is there a rifle hunter beside the bow hunters? The entire seat, they're guessing, right? And then, uh -huh. but what I what I feel with the data we're providing isn't speculation. I have watched deer come out of their bedding areas from assholes rolling hikers rolling uh -huh. boulders down, and not coming back to that bedding area. That's not speculation. I I watched it, you know, happen things like that, right. and so. Obviously, if the, the rifle hunters are saying, oh, the bow hunters are scaring away, some of it you could say is is too much pressure, which we talked about limiting the tags, which would solve some of those problems. I would rather limiting the tags than limit the season. That doesn't make any sense to me. You can, If there's too many hunters in an area, you can blow them out in three weeks as quick as you can. I mean, three or four, it doesn't really matter. But you lessen the number of hunters into that unit then it's going to cause it's going to have a less less of a chance of the blowing that unit out. I mean, do you guys am I making sense of that? And do you guys agree? Yeah, and I think a couple of our concerns from a CBA perspective is we uh, for since our inception and it's forty nine years now. Next year will be the fiftieth. We've always been advocates for a contiguous 30-day season west of I-25. And I think there's a real fear that there are efforts afoot around this big game season structure and other means to eliminate a 30-day season or make archery into two or three shorter seasons. And I've got a proposal right now that on our Facebook page I've posted, and it's looking at uh, the units around Vail. It's unit 45, 44, 47, and uh, 444, where the proposal on the table is to take our either-sex archery elk tag 
to a bull-only tag, and we're really looking for member feedback on this as to how you'd like us to weigh in on this. Uh, we're still gathering data on this. This is a final action of January 9th and 10th. And again, I'd ask you to take a look at the issue paper that's out on our Facebook page, on the Bowhunters Association Facebook page, and let us know your comments as well as the commission. And uh, I think it's highly likely that we will be in opposition to going to bull only. I would think so, too. If if this goes through, you know, these units are over the counter. And think about the impact to the other units because not only, uh, you know, there's they say there's 1,600 bow hunters. And I don't know how they get at that number. I'm kind of waiting for an answer on that. But some of those bow hunters are going to go somewhere else. We also know that we're growing at about a 4% clip a year on 48,000 hunters. And they're also, this is a very similar issue in BGSS in the Southwest regions. They're also proposing we move to bull only. And so we need to pull together as a group. And uh, rather than standing in front of the commission and saying, you know what, we have 1,900 members, I don't know understand why we don't have 10,000 members in the Bowhunters Association, because really, I need to pull together a mass media campaign, do broadcast emails, get this viral using tools like you guys, so we can stand in as one and say, hey, wait a minute, because if you look at these existing, this existing issue paper, they've got a rifle season right now for cow elk that runs September 15th through the 30th. That's the middle of bow season. They're issuing either sex private land only uh, rifle tags. They're issuing uh, late season cow tags that start in, uh, well, it's not a late season. It starts August 15th. It goes and to it January. January yeah. 15th. I mean, we're looking at this going, we're 11% of the harvest of cows. So, and then 2% are bee tags. So 87% of the cow harvest is non-archery and now they want to shift us to bull only. I mean, yeah, there. I, I, that's why I can't help but think there's a prejudice. <laughs> I just can't help but think yeah. there isn't one. Yeah, I don't. I don't see how you could think there there isn't a prejudice. And and again, I some of the, in my opinion, some of the problem is bow hunters not. You know, there's probably not bow hunters there, so immediately there's a prejudice. Meaning, at the powers that be, not talking about the CBA, obviously, the powers that be are rifle hunters or not hunters at all, and so you get overlooked. Um, and that seems to be, from the outside looking in, a big problem. But uh, you said it best. Some of it just doesn't make any sense. Like if I said, you know, hey, if you walk in a, a circle, uh, this circle. You know, and it's going to take you one minute each circle, but it's actually going to take you 45 minutes totally. I mean, I just mathematically, I don't I don't get that when they're talking about they don't want the pressure like you had said, mm -hmm. um, but it's OK for the rifle hunters to pressure the bow hunters, things like that. They just don't add up to where you can only, you know, yeah, think and that again, they don't they're like taking away from bow hunters that don't matter to the harvest stats anyways. So I just why would you take away if we don't matter anyways? Uh, that that's the part that blows my mind. But. Um, just to get back to what we talked about a little bit earlier, Vars, is there's a if there's a not a hatred but a, a, a problem between rifle and archery um, is I I mean if anybody can have the I have a lot of experience I've guided for 34 years uh, and I've I've witnessed a lot of stuff after rifle season and during rifle season. Here's an example that I'll give and then I'll. I'll 
uh, just let you guys take it from there and let it soak in. Okay, when bow season happens, what follows bow season? Rifle. Mm-hmm. So we got a whole lot of people looking over our shoulder, seeing uh, uh, elk run around with an arrow stuck in its ass. There's nothing more horrible to see or, or something that's an eyesore than to see an animal with an arrow sticking out of it. And no more for the person that shot the arrow. They're sick about it too. But they have all the rifle seasons following our footsteps, seeing that maybe somebody didn't retrieve, couldn't find their animal, and then they find one dead. Okay. So bow hunters kind of look bad or whatever. Well, then I'm up there during rifle season. And I'm seeing, I'm getting guys, especially this long range stuff that's going on now that I was guiding a guy that he's like, you know, there's a nice bull over there. And he's like, well, how far is that? 600 yards. He takes a shot he, and he has the turrets. He thinks he's all good. And he's all, ah, I missed it. I can't believe I missed it. And, uh, and so he goes, uh, I'm like, well, how do you know you missed it? He goes, oh man, with this 300 H&H, it, it just picks him up and throws him on the ground. And I'm like, we're going to go see because I was watching through the spinoscope. I think you hit it. Yeah. So he didn't want to drop all the way down the canyon. It took an hour and a half to get over there. Dropped all the way down, came back up, went over there, and that thing piled up 80 yards later. Yeah. So, and then a lot of animals with guiding through outfitters, you know, we, we couldn't find an animal because, you know, sometimes, you know, depends on the bullets they're using. They don't, they don't do the research they need to, to build a bullet or to shoot a bullet that is made to take out an animal and leave a good blood trail. So they can't find their animal. So the animals that we couldn't find first season, I'm finding second season because the birds are helping me find them. Mm-hmm. The ones that were shot second season we couldn't find, I'm finding third season because the birds are helping me find them. So when I'm, I'm following the tracks, looking over the shoulder of all the four rifle seasons, and it's staggering the amount of animals that are not retrieved in the woods because – but nobody sees it. Typically, rifle hunters ain't going to see it because they're up there at the time. So when the rifle season's over with, you got six months before it ever happens again. Now, was that a mountain lion kill? Yeah. Was that whatever? Did he die a bad winter kill? So there's nobody following their footsteps, but I have. And so it's equal across the board. It, it, things happen, and there's no uh, – it's sick. No one likes to do it. No one likes to admit it. I mean, it, it ruins my day if I can't retrieve an animal, and I've, I've, I haven't been able to retrieve animals. And I know a lot of – as a guide, it's my job to be able to be a, be a good tracker. And But I, I'm, not, I'm not pulling the trigger, so I don't know, you know, that kind of thing. So it's just – it's out there and it's both sides. So if that's the reason why they don't like, or one of the reasons they don't like archery seasons, because because that's what I've heard. I mean, Steve just hit on, all oh, you guys are shoving them into places we can't get them. I've heard the other part of it, like, uh, you dang bow hunters, you you know, you, all you do is sticking things, taking too far shots. You're not killing. You're not retrieving. You're not doing this. I'm like, man, you got to follow your own steps. Yeah, no, and I, I mean, coming from. Uh what were they calling me? The long range mist machine uh, with the long range stuff. I tried it a couple of times with up in Idaho mm-hmm. with the turrets and there is TV shows. What is it? Best of the West. Mm-hmm. And then what's that other company that extreme long range? Yeah. You know, they give you the gun and the range finder and you're mm-hmm. guaranteed out to whatever yardage and people buy that shit. I mean, yeah. Hey, let's head out there. Range it. Well, the, the thing is, is there is more, in my opinion, technology and more validity to selling a rifle hunter. The numbers are bigger. So let's say 5% of rifle hunters think they can shoot long range and give it a whirl. Buy the ballistic turrets, they buy the range finder that does your dope for you and everything else. 
okay, well, that number is automatically going to be way bigger than 5% of archers trying to take longer shots because there's more rifle hunters. And there's way more technology, in, in my opinion, and may, way more validity in people taking a lot longer shots with a gun than a bow because the gun does everything pretty much for you. You can bench rest it and the validity and everything else of a bow hunter taking it not that this is good. There's a better chance of someone missing with a bow than wounding with a rifle at long range because of the technology pumped into a rifle, if if that makes sense. So I think, you know, rifle hunters bash me all you want, but the guys I know that shoot long range will admit there's way more issues with long range rifle shooting than long range bow shooting because there's just not as many people trying it with a bow. Plus, it's the logistics of it all. If I shoot, to me, a long range, because I'm a, tra- a tra- trad guy, a long range is going to be 40 yards. But then the guys with some compounds that are really good at it, they can shoot out 80, 90 yards. Yeah. So they, but to walk 80, 90 yards to go see if you got a blood trail is a way lot different than walking two miles. So it might be a mile down the canyon, a mile back up to shoot straight across this canyon. The guy's like, man, he wasn't that big of, I mean, well, I don't think I hit him. <laughs> see what you shot at. With, and I've done both and I've been along both hunts. No matter what distance you shoot a bow. You see. You see it. You don't get lost getting to it. I got so fucked up trying to find a bear Ryan and I shot because <laughs> it was 850 yards away down a canyon in dark timber and it was an opening in the timber. And I got over there and I shot a back azimuth so I could hit it and still being what I would consider very competent in land navigation, be able to shoot back azimuth. I still got over there and I wasn't sure. And so if I'm in the wrong grassy patch, it looks a hell of a lot different, 890, 950 yards away. And it takes you 30, 40, 50, two hours to get there where a long range with a bow, let's say is a hundred yards. What does it take to walk a hundred yards? I mean, 20 yeah, seconds. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. telling my hunter. You got to think this through because if, whether you hit it or miss it, we're going to go over there and we're going to check. Yeah. yeah. That, yep. That's, that's my ethics. That's, I don't care if the outfitter said you didn't have to do it. Sometimes the guy's just physically just ain't in shape enough to do it. So here I'm walking all the way down the canyon, back up again, and he's giving me hand signals potentially because I think I know where I'm going, but I'm like, I can't find nothing. I, I don't know if this is where the elk was standing or not, unless there's snow on the ground. So I'm getting hand signals, but it's a big process to do your due diligence to see if you hit that animal or not. And a lot of people don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. And to touch base on the numbers a little bit, you know, and this is 2015, uh, elk licenses in Colorado. Uh, we sold in round numbers, 223,000 elk licenses that generated roughly 45 million in income. Now, if you subtract 48,000 uh, archers from that, you know, what do we got for rifle hunters? We got 180,000, 175,000, somewhere in that range. Um, you know, deer hunters were putting 77,000 roughly licenses sold, uh, and about 11,000 of that is archery hunters. Uh, pronghorn statewide, we sold about 18,000 licenses, and only 1,700 of those were archery licenses. So just yeah, a, quite a bit different, yeah. quite a bit less, yeah. yeah. And so why would you ever take tags away from the bow hunting? I mean, I just don't get that. I mean, if you to get something more recent, 2017, these are exact numbers you can pull off their site. Got to wish I had my cheaters on. For This is for the big three, you know, for like a Rocky Mountain bighorn sheep. In 2017, there were 14,011 tags sold. I mean, uh, applicants put in for it. 2018, 26,839 people when they had to, just a three-point to go in. And you go for mountain goat. In 2017, there was 16,144 
And then in 2018, there was 24,357. Quite a bit of increase. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you go, uh, and that, that that's for non-resident, both those for non-resident. Resident numbers, like for GOAT, was, was 1,951. And then the following year, 2018, went to 11,000. Yeah. Yeah, we're screwed if they keep that up. Yeah. Well, do you think the prejudice is just coming from the revenue income, the amount of money? There's, there, I mean, on this page here, there's uh, probably, I don't, I don't even know, I'm not going to throw a number out there, but it's a substantial increase in money compared to rifle, from rifle compared to bow hunting. So the rifle probably gets the gets the nod on, on more things than the bow hunting does well, because it's, there's more money in it. It's whoever has the loudest voice. I've been to a couple of meetings as just kind of a guy in the back corner, a fly on the wall. The outfitters, they can scream pretty loud. Yeah. And outfitters don't like guiding bow hunters, a whole lot of them. They're more and more getting into it, but whether you're really going to make your money and increase the numbers, heck, you got five different seasons for rifle hunters, and then you got one season for bow season. What, what are you going to make more money on? And the rifle hunters are going to be pushing for the landowner tags because, uh, I mean, the outfitters are going to because – they can go ahead and buy them from the broker or buy them from the landowner and guarantee their clients a tag as opposed to hoping they draw. And if they're in a high-end unit, they can do all the sport shows they want to. But unless somebody draws a tag, they're not going to have anybody in their camp. And if it's a 20-unit, takes 20 preference points, how many people are you going to have in your camp? Right. Yeah. And those I mean, are the ones buying the tags from the landowners that are the unit-wide tags. Yeah. Yeah, they're pushing it, for it hard. It'll be an interesting. I'll be. It'll be interesting how all of this, uh, you know, pans out. But we're actually working on uh, two hours plus here. So, is there anything we else we want to cover that we haven't, you know, hit on for high points that we we've, we've missed? No, I just hope uh, I like to leave everybody with uh, like what Steve said earlier about writing the commission um, and giving them a, a, a an email or whatever. But man, if you're part of the big three, uh, have the understanding. This is this is kind of what this podcast was about to try to protect that right of the people that have been putting in for these tags for such a long time. And then with the DOW coming up with the idea of just anybody can do it. We all we all we all know the people like we got to never put in for sheep, goat, or moose before. But God, it only costs three dollars. I'll do it. So we we're 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 just trying to protect. I think the emphasis, at least me, is is, is our top three, um, the big three, is, is what this has really hurt in a really bad way. Gotcha. On, on my end, we'll kind of circle the table here. Exactly, you know, what Harold said, take a step back and look at it from the greater good of of all points. Don't be just, uh, if you're an out-of-state guy, look at it from in-state and out-of-state, you know, when you if you email any advice or anything else. And the other thing, which is way off the subject, when you're out there, Put your best foot forward in shining the brightest light on hunting you can, especially in Colorado, since it's such a liberal state. Um, if anything goes to a vote, we want to be looked at the best way possible. Frank and I were on a helping out a guy with a goat hunt, and I don't know how many people we hit hiking up the trail. But even if they're mean to you, don't be mean to them back. Try to, try to look at it, talk sense into them, make them look at it maybe for a different perspective. Don't be just a dipshit when you're out there. You want to try and put the, the best light on hunting as you possibly can. And, and again, make sure when you're sending your two cents in about it, don't, don't be diligent or don't be diplomatic about it and uh, try to make, you know, the the best decision you can with your email from all, all parties involved. One thing I'd like to mention is, uh, you know, CBA is all volunteer organization. We uh, evolve every year. We just held our elections uh, 
last week. And we need members. We need volunteers. I am stepping away from my role at the end of this year. I told the board I'd get us through the big game season structure. And so there's going to be, there's, there's vacancies now. Uh, there's going to be vacancies in the future. You know, if you look at our board, you go to our, our board meetings, it's a bunch of 54 year old and older guys. We need some new blood. We need some new energy. And so I would just say, hey, if you got the opportunity to get involved with us as an organization, we need the help. I'm not to interrupt uh, Frank here with his comments, but um, um, in regards to the CBA, um, I I think they're an organization. Their numbers are at 19, 1,900 right now. Yeah. Um, that that could triple, quadruple. And we've touched on this in other uh, podcasts is just uh, if we do get some new blood in there, I can't help but feel that. We need to do more for hunting. The CBA, that was my black cloud above the CBA is is, is just um, I, I wanted to see more for hunting, bring people into hunting. And the minute you guys, the minute CBA, like get the new blood in there, I, I, I might be interested in what 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 uh, Steve is uh, uh, talking about here. But, man, every hunter out there that sees that, man, the CBA is putting their foot forward. They're in these meetings. They're doing these things, stuff that I was oblivious to. Um, uh, and there are for the hunter, and they and they're showing some recourse of that. Uh, I think numbers are going to quadruple. I mean, I don't know how numbers. If you know, if they know you got their back, hunters are gonna are gonna have your back. Yeah, there's very few organizations in the state that represent hunters, uh, and we're not wussies. You know, there's some groups out there that they pick their platform, and that's it. We take issues, and some, or we take stands on issues. Sometimes it bites us in the butt, but you know, we're not right. wussies either. So. Right? Yeah, you got some backbone, so I would definitely encourage. Uh, I back uh, Steve 100% on that. Frank. Well, I think the only thing I have to say is. Uh, don't be upset if uh, if things aren't going your way, but you're not doing your part as far as joining organizations like the CBA or getting your voice out there and sending the emails. So definitely do your part to to get your voice out there, and, and don't be mad if if you're with the way that things are going. If your voice hasn't, you know, you haven't expressed your opinions. It's kind of like voting. Yeah, yeah. exactly like voting. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, you know, you got to play to win the lottery. You, you also have to make your voice uh, be known to be heard. If you don't do that, you can't complain. So I appreciate you guys coming on and be interesting to circle back after all this shit pans well, I'm, I'm out. I'm glad you get all the hate mail. I mean, you'll have to you see yeah. what, what this is going to transpire to. Yeah, you know, on the the hate mail, when I say that, we don't get hate mail on this so much, these subjects. Um We'll get some from out-of-state hunters, you know, of course, because, you know, I, I do think the numbers should be more of a 80-20 split. Um, I have a bias like you do with the, the, the big three. But even know? 20% is still 15 higher than any other state out there. And I, mean, and, and I hate to say it, go hunt another state if you don't like Colorado. Um, you know, <laughs> I, I mean, I, that is something I'll definitely get hate mail over. But it's like if you don't like this podcast, listen to a different one. We want the revenue. We want you to have a, a pleasant experience. And the thing is, is we're not doing this to get you out of the state of Colorado. We're doing this or what we're talking about is so you have a better hunt quality while hunt. you're here. When you get here. And a quality hunt generally means putting an animal, in my opinion, on the ground. Otherwise, you can just go hike around with a camera. I mean, you, you want to put an animal on the ground or at least get into animals while you're here. And that's what we're trying to do or what I think we're talking about. And you're going to have to have patience having a tag as well as you'd have patience being in the field waiting for the right animal to walk by. It's, it's going to take 
but when you finally get that tag, it's something to scrin ear to ear about or wondering if you got to get up there three days before season starts to have a parking spot. Yeah, no, okay. for sure. So, all right, all right well, I appreciate you guys coming on. Hey, Merry Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Merry Christmas to everybody out there.